1: Today on the podcast, we are talking to Carson Honeycutt, who's probably the most interesting man in the world right now, because I'm looking at his profile, (laughs) and he's done everything. He uh, served as an enlisted Marine, as a crew chief. He did that for five years, got out, and he's done a little bit of everything. He's got his MBA, he's gone to law school, he's got his law degree, and is awaiting results. So, Carson, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Tom.
1: And as you guys can tell, he has a voice for radio, and it's coming across very well. So, Carson, you say here that you are the Zen veteran. Take us through the evolution of your branding. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything here, so tell us about that journey.
0: Oh, it, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a journey, Tom, and I, to your point, I have done a little bit of everything, and part of that was, you know, I was 23 when I got out of the Marines, and I didn't know what I didn't know, and so there was a period of really just trying a lot of things on to see what fit now. I don't necessarily recommend going about it the way that I did. I think that, you know, had I prepared a little bit better, there would have been a lot less heartache in there. Cause you know, yeah, sure. It looks cool in retrospect, but some of those moments when I was going through them wasn't so fun. So I started the Zen veteran as one component of what I do, because I don't want other veterans to get out of the military and go through what I went through and have to battle what I call conventional transition wisdom there's just a lot of really archaic advice as it relates to getting out of the military a lot of it is DoD driven a lot of it is driven by people who haven't had to make that transition so you're not necessarily getting really relevant actionable insight so the Zen better was something that I put together after I kind of came out of that and being like what was that all <laughs> To help people avoid those those pitfalls and some of those things. And one of the things that I, I I really hammer on with my mentees is networking, networking, networking. I did not know how to network. And that was wildly problematic. But the other component is a lot of people just talk about, you know, as it relates to the transition that there's just it's a career transition. And that is partially true but also limited in its scope. And I think that that's problematic because you have to understand that you, especially if you're getting out of the JAG Corps and the military in general, have a different philosophy and way of doing business mostly than, than maybe your civilian counterparts. And for me, you know, I, I was an Afghanistan veteran, right? I went through life. I'd already at 23 addressed my own mortality, right? I've already looked at, well, I could have died there. Yeah, um, I was in dangerous situations Am I as primarily focused on money as the next person? No. However, I understand that you need to have enough of it to be able to pursue your next purpose at the highest possible level, right? And it's really about, if you're getting out of the military, you have so much to offer, but people are not necessarily helping you package it correctly.
1: I was going to say, to your point on networking, people might be listening to this right now going, okay, why why is he having this guy on my on my podcast? Well, we we linked up, via network i interviewed mark fava you talked to mark fava mark said talk to tom you guys need you guys are in the same swim lanes you need to talk so here we are so we're going to talk about networking but continue where i interrupted you
0: oh yeah so the rest of the journey really is you know i got out went and did my undergrad graduated summa cum laude and i've been told hey that's the ticket right if you've got military background and you've got a college degree you're employable got the job at the international firm in Chicago and lost it nine months later, right? And unfortunately it was due to non-performance. And I was like, what? That's that's never happened to me before ever. And it wasn't due to lack of effort. It's because I didn't understand how to talk to people when I was in sales, right? And I was doing what they were telling me to do, but I didn't have any additional insight. And so losing that job was kind of one of those critical moments in my life because I was not financially prepared for that. I was not mentally prepared for that. I was not socially prepared for that. And I certainly wasn't professionally prepared for that, right? I didn't have a backup option. And so I had to rely on my network, which in this case was my older brother who had a friend. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm working in a place called the Roost Carolina Kitchen. And then, you know, that doesn't sound super sexy high speed on the top, but it was actually my first op- opportunity to be really entrepreneurial, And I realized, wow, okay, I actually like being in a smaller organization where I can be more nimble and make more high-impact decisions. And we were a food truck, and then we started winning awards in our category. We were recognized. We started getting the Food Network, and we had all these viral marketing opportunities. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. And so I realized, man, maybe I am a businessman. I was just in the wrong business. Well, fast forward two years, I realized you know, Chicago's not right for me, right? Because I like business, but I don't love being in a big city right? And that's part of that, you know, fundamental, you know, your base principles in life. Who are you? Well, I'm an outdoorsman. So I needed to find something that worked a little bit more for that, because I wasn't really finding people. I love mountain biking. I love being out in nature. You can't really get that in Chicago. So on one hand, it was working. I had a professional life that was interesting, but my personal life was not so fulfilling. And I wanted to find that opportunity to create both. And I know that other, you know, some of, the, some of your other guests have, have identified that particular issue and I will just plug Bob Stern. He was talking about the corporate grind. That's exactly right. You know, there is this corporate grind and if that's not for you, that's okay, but you're going to have to be prepared for that. So I ultimately moved to Alaska, made a big change, jumped in, got into the insurance business of all things. And that realized that led me to, wow. Okay. Risk management's interesting because this is, you know, a lot of people are just thinking about downside risk. They're not thinking about how do you manage upside risk, right? opportunities, right? That's part of the risk equation, which then led me to, well, you know, I'm referring to a lot of people the lawyers to help them figure out how to uh, address these risks. What if I became that lawyer? And at the time I was working on my MBA, I got that. I said, okay, I've got the, the the business acumen side of it, but I don't understand this whole blob over here, which is the world of, of the legal. And it's a huge hole in my knowledge in it doesn't it prevents me from pursuing what i see as my purpose at the highest possible level right so that i went to law school graduated back in 2020 and there was a lot of networking and mistakes along the way but i learned through that through networking having a lot of conversations a lot of opportunities popped out and for example one of the opportunities that popped out because i've given myself this vehicle to drive in the zen veteran helping other veterans Well, there's a lot of opportunity in that, and it differentiates me in the legal field because I'm not just a lawyer talking about statutes and regulations and administrative decisions and all that stuff that most people don't care about. And an opportunity that came from that is because I was networking within the law school, I was actually able to interview Chaos himself, James Mattis, for my podcast on The Zen Veteran, and that was all networking, right? And if you listen to conventional transition wisdom, they'd tell you, you know, start small, build your way up because I'd done my homework and I said, I need to talk to that person. And I had made myself a promise. If James Mattis was within a hundred square miles of me, I was going to find a way to interview him. That's just what I had decided. And because I had been doing other things and I'll tell you how I got the interview is because I gave a seminar on tie tying, how to tie a tie, got me an interview with James Mattis because somebody owed me a favor. Right. And I said, Hey, I know he's here. And I know that you're connected to people he's connected to connect me and here's what I want to talk to him about. And sure enough, it happened. So yeah,
1: he's, he's an amazing guy. I got to interact yeah. with him back in uh, 2017. In fact, when he was sec deaf and he was over in Garmish and I had my uh, cadet son with me and I watched the amazing, most amazing leadership. He, there was like six or seven of us and and he, he had just spoken at West points graduation a couple of weeks before. Mm-hmm. And he turned to my son and he took that common experience they had of being at that graduation and he made him the most important guy in the room. So yes. uh, he is an incredible leader. I mean, yes. you don't have to be Marine Corps to recognize that he is a leader. Yeah. He knows how to push people's buttons in a good way. Let's dive into to networking. What was yeah. your impetus to starting up this Zen networking? What you know, I, Another way to ask you, what made you think you were qualified to be a, uh, a mentor for networking?
0: Well, you know, that's a great question, Tom, and it's something that can only be answered by the market. And this is one of the things that I want any of you listening to this to realize that if somebody hasn't done what you are trying to do or is not telling you that you know what you're talking about, you don't necessarily need to listen to them. What you need to listen to are the people that you're helping and the people that you're talking to giving you feedback and saying, yeah, whoa. Right. If you, if you're blowing people's minds and constantly giving them new insights and they're like, I've never heard that before. That's kind of your, that's your litmus test for whether or not you're an expert or you know what you're doing. And for me, I understood intrinsically that I had already made all of these mistakes and I knew that they were mistakes. And I knew that that alone at least qualified me more than somebody who hasn't at least come that far in the journey. And so what I knew for sure is that I was capable of helping people end up walking down my path, right? I could at least help them avoid those mistakes. So that was the impetus. And it was a, it was desire to help because it it was extremely, you know, mentally painful for me to lose that sense of, man, I'm really on top of things. You know, I'd gone from being a a sergeant in the Marines, the CH-53s, and, you know, it's just a really cool job, highly respected, you know, people understand your value. You don't really have to package that or pitch that. It's just kind of there to being nobody. Right, And that's painful when you realize that people don't care about you outside of the military the way that they necessarily cared about you in it. And having to go through that revelation myself and not having resources that were driven towards that, that total life scope, I was like, wow, there's a huge hole here and I can help plug it. So that's why i believe that i was qualified and what i initially did is i didn't i started the zen veteran in 2015 you won't see any real content outbound content from the zen veteran before 2018. that's because i spent the first three years after i dumped the concept out of my brain doing what i call immersion some people would call it canvassing i had so many conversations with veterans you know what are the common threats between one veteran to the next What's the common experience? What's the uncommon experience? Where does this you know, advice diverge? You know, And there's a million different ways to split up the market, if you will, of veterans. But who I'm listening to to tell me whether or not I'm an expert is that market of people. Am I telling them things that they don't know? Am I sharing things with them that they're unaware of? Or on the flip side of that, identifying things that I wasn't aware of and saying, hey, if I didn't know it and I made these mistakes and I wish I had known it, there's another opportunity to introduce people who aren't as far along to this concept and, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to pull in this expert because I've already vetted them and I know that they're good and share that information with them, which is what you're doing right here with your podcast. And what I encourage a lot of people to do, if you don't have that knowledge and expertise, go find the person that does. That's an incredibly valuable service and it, and it's very easy to do. Uh, people are typically more than willing to be interviewed because it helps them establish their own credibility. So it's, a, it, it's in line with creating win-wins, which is the foundation of networking. If you can create a win-win, people are going to be happy to talk to you.
1: So on that point, we exchanged some emails coming into yeah. today about, hey, where do we want to go? What are some things that you think would be helpful to
0: us Jags,
1: as we try to break into the civilian market.
0: So first thing is mindset, right? Any, anytime you're having any conversation, you need to have a mindset. And there's a lot of weird advice out there that really kind of suggests that you need to subordinate yourself. And what I mean by that, it, an obvious example is this like the same concept that comes up again and again and again, tailor your resume, tailor your cover letter, right? People start there, but- it's really hard to tailor a resume and cover letter without having a conversation first. That mindset behind that is kind of, Hey, you're looking for the job. You're the one showing up with your hands out. You're the one who needs them. You have less value. So you need to jump through all the hoops. Now I'm not saying that you are flawless and that you need to go in and be like, hey, I'm I'm top dog. You do what I say because you're the one looking for an employee. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is don't devalue yourself on the front end. You had another guest, Dr. Brian Price. I think he brought it up great. He talked about imposter syndrome, Yeah. right? Understand that you have intrinsic value. And one of those things, and if I can just put it right here, that it specifically JAGs have is this Skill set of asking great questions. I have to train a lot of my mentees to even ask the first question, let alone the second and third level question that gets to the heart of a matter. I think a JAG is going to be massively more prepared than your average job seeker to be one, willing to ask those questions, and two, be able to dig into it because so many of your frontline questions. Only really those answers that you get from them only give you very high level, you know, somewhat ambiguous or vague information. And the ability to ask those additional questions separates you, right? That's one of your key differentiators as a JAG coming out is that you have that willingness and that capability of asking those questions. And so when you're doing your canvassing and you're doing your network and you're doing your homework, you're always challenging what you see like I need to know a little bit more about that I don't quite understand that term or I don't quite understand that market or what this what this individual said I'm going to go research it I'm going to follow up so you have a huge differentiator right there and if you've got a big differentiator well guess what that's the that's the art of marketing right what's your differentiation point so that has value So when I'm telling you all don't devalue yourself on the front end, that's the that's the first part of this that you that you have. And that's the first thing that I want people to understand about the mindset going into that is that you have intrinsic value.
1: How do you encourage people? When should they start networking? How should they go about it? Is there a particular point in their transition or when they're seeking a specific job that they should go about networking?
0: So we had a saying in the Marines, and I think that it applies, it'll apply it to uh, networking. We said that chow is continuous, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're hungry, eat. And networking is the same way. Networking should be continuous. And if you have even a glimmer that you think you might leave, network. And frankly, if you're in the military, network too, right? If you, even if you think you're going to be in for 30 years, if you're a, uh you know, first term JAG officer, you should still be talking to people anyway, just even within the military to try and feel out maybe what your next duty station would be or what your next job or opportunity would be within the military. Same is true of the civilian side. And if you're not sure which one it's going to be, you definitely need to be networking because you need to get an idea of the lay of the land to kind of say, hey, I like the way this sounds. I don't like the way this sounds so that you can actually write out a a useful or relevant pro con list and make an informed decision. So there's no wrong time. It's never too late. And I want to, I want to tell people that it's never too late to get started, but you should always be doing it. And LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool for doing that. It's free. You can get on, you can get a LinkedIn premium account for free. If you just kind of. I'll just give you all a little secret. If you just kind of renew it every year and just slide it in. <laughs> yeah. I've, I haven't paid for LinkedIn yeah. for a while and maybe, and maybe, maybe I'll get caught. it will be the one who ruins it for all of us. But It's an incredibly powerful tool. And so the way to get started, because a lot of people will tell you, oh, why networking is great. And they'll tell you, you need to network, but they don't tell you how to do it, right? One of the best ways to do it on LinkedIn is uh, I've heard it called the window shopping technique or the just browsing technique. There's a few different ways to go about it. First step would be one of these two things. And you could choose where you start. Either look through LinkedIn's industry list and see what industries sound interesting and just pick three. Right. You don't need to you don't need to cycle through the whole world. Pick three or the same could be true. You could you instead of going to industry, if you have three companies in mind that you think have interesting missions, you could start there as well. What I recommend you do from there is just start getting a, canvassing the the actual marketplace, who's playing in it, who are the major players, who comes up all the time, what companies, what topics come up. Are there any associations related to that industry and an obvious next step once you have some of that information and you have enough information to have generated a list of questions you're like here's what i don't know right this next step is where you can leverage what i call the the fight club right you've got other veterans that are out there and they're hiding in plain sight a lot of people don't tap them for information i'm always looking for veterans in any of these organizations or industries and say hey i've done this research these are the questions I have. And, you know, don't, don't blast 10 of them, right? Just get to get start, pick one to two, maybe to get that door open and say, I'm seeing this. This is a question that comes up. I'm not really understanding this concept. Would you be willing to talk to me about it and see, you know, help me figure this thing out? 99 times out of 100, that answer is going to be yes. I've been I've been big dogged one time. One time, and I was so blown away. I was like, "Okay, that door is closed. I'm not willing to go there." But it, generally speaking, it's not going to be somebody. You know, we got to get at this fear based mentality. That, especially coming out of the military, because you think that there's a chain of command. There's no chain of command out here, right? You're not going to step on anybody's toes. Get in touch with that person. If there's a if there's a, a veteran there that either has a role that you are interested in, works at a company that you're interested interested in, or an organization that you're interested in. Ask them those questions that you did, that you generated from your research. Boom, there you go. One 30-minute conversation, even 15 minutes is enough. And then you just peel that onion back until you don't like what you see or something, an opportunity falls out. An opportunity will fall out or you will say, hey, this isn't what I thought it was. I'm not interested. And then go back to the beginning and complete that process over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I did that exact same thing. I was looking at i been evaluating transitioning out of the workers' comp field, which is what I'm doing in the legal field right now, and looking at aerospace and space because that's where my interests lie. And so I went into the exact same thing. I looked at Boeing as an organization because I'm familiar with Boeing. And I said, hey, here's a naval aviator in Mark, right? So we've got that in common. Yep. Veteran. He's done legal work. He's 30 years beyond me in his career. He probably knows some things that I don't know. But here's my research. And that's the, the one of the questions I asked Mark to provide a concrete example is I said, hey, you know, I've seen aerospace and space. And traditionally in the past, it seems like they've been tied together. But now I'm seeing this bifurcation within this market that these things aren't necessarily seen as, you know, a whole anymore. It's more space, aerospace is that accurate? And he, and he gave me the lay of the land. And he said, yeah, and, you know they're, they're very much different now. Yeah, there's a lot of common players. And I said, is there anybody else you could help connect me with? Is there anybody else I need to be talking to? And he connected me with somebody at Amazon. And this is a high level corporate counsel at Amazon that I just had that conversation this morning. right? And this is a non-military affiliated person. Right? And he also connected me with you because he said, hey, you also need to be talking to this person because of what you do. And, and you just keep following that bouncing ball. And I'd had the exact same conversation with the uh, executive at Amazon and said, hey, you know, here's what I think I see. Is that accurate? Yes, no. And I had intelligent questions and we dug into it. We had an interesting conversation. Okay, is there anybody else you think I should be talking to? And it sounds simple because it is, right? And then you don't really have to worry about resumes, cover letters, all of that. And if an opportunity is there, that resume, that cover letter becomes a mere formality. But also because you've had that conversation, you know what's important to them. You know what to put on that resume and that cover letter. You know what to address. And you're going to have a much more impactful conversation. And you become a known quantity. And that's something that you and I were talking about before, Tom, is, is making yourself a known quantity, especially out of the military. People do not feel like they relate to us as much as they want to. They do not feel that common bond, right? So if you can take that nervousness out of the equation and just understand that that unfamiliarity exists and create a human connection, they're going to be so much more comfortable with you. And guess what? You have a lot of technical information on on an area of law, if you're a JAG, or if you have something else that you're interested in people trust that that technical experience already exists just want to see that human experience
1: probably you may have heard this on one of my other podcasts somebody said that veterans are like zoo animals everybody loves them but they don't know how to take care of them exactly Um, as you're talking about what you're wanting to do uh Mm -hmm. go into space aerospace law you're sort of in the same situation as a lot of jags because you're in workers comp You've ne- other than flying around as a crew chief, which I'm not yeah. minimizing here, but you've never been involved in space or aerospace law. So here you are a guy who's a lot like us that are listening to the audience here of trying to get into something that they. Don't do now. So there's there's a readily identifiable similarity. So anybody listening, there's there's your knock. And anybody listening who's in a position to hire somebody for space, aerospace, or a 54-year-old guy, I know a couple of guys on a podcast right now would love to talk to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, overcoming that gap, there's a question there, right? How do you bridge that gap, right? How do you become, and again, it's about becoming that known quantity. So where I started is I just started, you know, with a simple Google search. I Googled space law. Right. I was just like, what, what is space law? And, you know, started writing down relevant research questions for myself, much like you would take a new legal issue that you're totally unfamiliar with. And I started peeling it apart. I said, okay, well, what's the relevant legislation on that? And, you know, I generated a list of statutes, regulations, and then treaties, because I figured, okay, we're talking about space. It's gonna be international. I can, you know, Reasonably assume there's going to be some treaties involved. You know, I've got the National Aeronautics and Space Act. Well, that's obvious, right? What's some of the less obvious stuff? Weirdly enough, through this process, I thought for sure FAA was going to be top dog, right? They are, but a huge player who's starting to flex in the market is the FCC. That was surprising to me. Now, it makes sense now that I've done my homework. Why? Because so much of space and, and what's being developed there is telecommunications. And I'm not saying all this to pitch space law to people. What I'm saying is I want I just want to show people the process, the mental process, and provide concrete examples. That was surprising to me. And so I had to say, hmm, why is that? But the, the more important question is, how did I find out about that? Well, as I was doing my canvassing, I said, well, what what associations are out there? What maybe nonprofits exist? that have a mission related to this that are kind of pulling all these disparate parts together. And what I found was this, this thing put on by the space force called the hyperspace challenge. And so they had events because they're all about increasing awareness of space, the space economy. I was perfect. Right up my alley. And so I attended one of their events that was about space regulation. Right. And then there was a couple of lawyers who had been brought on. They were younger too. They're younger than me. They were like, like uh, their late twenties, brought on to provide just a high level overview of space regulation, and then they had another follow on event called the Space Regulatory Boot Camp, which I couldn't attend because I was on vacation in Hawaii. It was, you know, it was a tough choice which one to yeah. go to. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I did get in touch with them and I followed up and said, "Hey, hey, you know, like here's the regulations, the the treaties, the statutes that I'm seeing. Are these accurate? Am I missing anything from my list? Because I'd already compiled that list." And, you know, if you've got 15 minutes, I'd love to talk to you about it. And then again, same process. And, and I've been peeling that apart. Another thing that I did is I had gone through a number of companies that I thought were interesting. So Boeing was one. That's how I found Mark. And then another one that I found was Ursa Major well, they make rocket engines. That's where I started. I was like, well, rocket engines sound cool, right? And it was nothing more than that. So I went down the rabbit hole a little bit and I found veterans that were playing in Ursa Major and other propulsion-related companies. So that's one component of it. And so I just did that too. And I had talked to an advisor with somebody who was a veteran, had also worked at SpaceX, is now an advisor at Ursa Major. And this is the person who got me uh, the information related to, well, okay, you've got one side of the aviation world in space is this legacy side which was his term not mine and you've got the new commercial side and the legacy side operates on a cost plus business model meaning that their contracts tell them they can only have you know they'll make cost plus seven percent on top right versus the commercial aviation side commercial space side they've got because they're doing things like 3d printing components they've got all this additional capacity and the you know the government's going out and buying surplus inventory that they have. And I was like, wow, okay, that's something else. So I've just kept going down that tunnel. And each time I look for something else, right? What else don't I know? What else don't I know? And so when I go into these conversations with people, I'm not operating with my hands out saying, please feed me. <laughs> I'm, I'm showing up with relevant questions. And sometimes I'm hitting them with stuff that they don't know, right? This conversation I had with the Amazon exec today, they didn't know about DARPA's space bacon program. I was like, well, that's interesting because you're related to what you're doing is telecom related and DARPA space bacon programs, very telecom focused. That's the whole point. You know, if, for those of you who are curious, it's about using lasers to transmit information through satellite constellations uh, as opposed to radio frequencies and using algorithms to basically map out an encrypted path through that. Okay. Mm. And, that was news to this individual. And that's just because I've just kept writing everything down, talking to the next person, doing the research as they recommend, following up with them saying, Hey, I did that. Here's what I found out. Did I see that? Right. And they're like, yeah, wow. Actually you brought up a point I hadn't considered. And then guess what? Now you've done something useful for them. And it doesn't even have to be big level useful, right? People, you don't have to, you don't have to blow somebody's mind. You just have to give them something else to think about. And then you've provided a valuable service, much like what we were talking about earlier, Tom, you know, you'll you introduce them to an expert valuable service all the time. I'm I'm not an engineer, but if I can introduce somebody to the space bacon, I'll do it.
1: So you had this conversation today. What's the next step for you? I mean, did you get some takeaways from this exec to uh, to hone your knowledge more and then talk to somebody else?
0: Yes, absolutely. And this uh, is a great question, Tom. And that's the last component of networking is what are the takeaways, right? So you've done your front end work, you've had the conversation, you showed up, you're ready, you're prepared, put a smile on your face, have some personality, right? Make it a fun conversation for them, that human element, and then get the takeaways. And the takeaways should be twofold. What else should I be researching? Help me prioritize it, right? Who else should I be talking to? Those are the two takeaways. And I do this with everybody. Absolutely. Everybody I talk to, who else do I need to talk to? what else do I need to research? What's that priority level look like? And so for my conversation today, I had come in there saying, Hey, I think that aerospace has stagnated. Is that accurate? And she said, yes, but only traditional aerospace. And I was like, Ooh, interesting new divergent here, right? Like now we've seen that it's not just aerospace and space, it's traditional aviation and non-traditional aviation. And what that looks like, she, this individual told me about UAMs or the urban air mobility projects. And I was like, ah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. And I'm familiar with them. I've seen them, but I hadn't really been thinking about that as an as an opportunity f- field or, or a way of inc- what she said, you increasing use cases for aviation. I was like, that's an interesting, interesting thing. So she gave me a few UAM companies to look into and she said, and then permission to follow up with her on, hey, once I do this research, can I get back to you? because I'm probably going to find some people that you could connect me with. Would that be okay? Yes, absolutely. And then she also gave me additional couple names of people to talk to, because that's all I want. I only want two. I don't want five. I don't want 10. I, I can't keep up with that, right? Because I will have yeah. to send her a follow-up email on of it, and it just it just explodes yeah. too much. So two is enough to manage, and it's also enough to do some really high-level hitting. And I've got enough research to generate a useful question, give her useful feedback. Hey, I looked into what you said. I really like these companies. I was a little concerned about these. What do you think? And then that's how you maintain the relationship on the back end while also moving forward with your networking endeavors. And you leave them with a good taste in your mouth. Because I can tell you, everybody who gives advice hates it when people don't take it, right? But if you're the one person who takes it and says, hey, I, I put it into action, bam, another differentiator. And so many people are unwilling to do that. And again, that's where I think military folks have a competitive edge, specifically Jags, that willingness to do what somebody recommends and at least try it. If it sucks, whatever. So it's just that easy if you follow their advice and let them know the results of that advice and give them that. I'm telling you, most people aren't doing that. And again, it's very easy and it's a very simple step. And if you're doing all of these things, the resume, the cover letter, if you have to do it, becomes more of a formality and you're you're operating on typically a top-down approach. You, you're either getting it handed yeah you, know, you know your resume cover letter hired to a hiring manager by their boss because you're aiming high and you're being unreasonable and you're just having conversations right? that's a much better place to be than trying to trying to go through the applicant tracking system, hope that you keyword stuffed appropriately, hope that the HR person filtered appropriately, hope that the additional screener didn't screen you out and hope that it landed on the hiring manager's desks and hope that the hiring manager can connect all the dots. I mean, there's a book out there and I love it. It's called Hope is Not a Strategy. We don't wanna rely on hope. We don't wanna rely on luck. We don't wanna rely on filters. We wanna rely on our own expertise and our own stick to itedness and we want to take the active approach. And networking is the active approach. It's it seems like a lot of effort, but that's a heck. Of, I'd rather have three phone calls than submit four hundred applications, get thirty denial letters, and maybe two interview calls. That sucks. That's that's a rough way of doing business. There's not much ROI there, and plus you still remain an unknown quantity. Yeah, as right? you
1: were saying that, of hope is not a strategy, and, and this idea and you were talking about all those things. You hope, hope, hope. You know, I was thinking about my own misfires or my own hanging chads, if you will, where I had a recruiter reach out to me, Hey, have you applied for this job? How should we review recruiters? Because I'm thinking, oh, hey, recruiters tell me to apply for this. I got a leg up and then nothing. And you get the ultimate email of well, you know, thanks for applying, but we went another way. So you shared a your thoughts about recruiters. Yeah. What should be our thoughts on recruiters?
0: I am very, very, very suspicious of recruiters. Okay. And it's not that they're bad people, but they are a huge opportunity for time wasting. Right. And any recruiter that reaches out to me and says, Hey, you should go apply. uh, Hey, you got in touch with me. Tell you need to pitch, right? You're the one who got in touch with me. Why do you think I should apply? I want to have a conversation with them before I ever give them my personal information. right? Right. I need to know more specific information, what it was about me that stuck out such that I should go apply. So my next step is, hey, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to apply if there's an opportunity. I'm always got my eyes and ears open for opportunities. I'm, um, You know, I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whichever term you want to, know, want to use. But I don't believe in sending out, you know, untargeted information. Could we talk for 15, 20 minutes? Cause I don't want to waste anybody's time and I don't want to waste my own. And that creates what I call constructive tension, right? Give, get, give, get. And if your expectation is that I'm going to give you something, I want information in return, right? If I'm going to give you information, I better get information. If I'm going to give you time, I better get some time. So I am very, very direct or directive Mm. with recruiters. I'm going to lead that dance. I'm not gonna go give them a bunch of my personal information to stick in a database that could be easily hacked. That has my entire, you know, life history and most of the information you would need to steal my identity. (laughs) I'm not gonna put that in your database if you haven't given me a reason to. Now, on the flip side of that, that's a very easy litmus litmus test for which recruiters are good and which recruiters are bad. Right? Good recruiters will say, "Yes, we absolutely need to talk." And most good recruiters will, "Hey." I need to talk to you right now and because I've got this opportunity. I think you're a unique fit. Can we hop on the phone? Most of those recruiters who who are really savvy are going to do that on the giddy up. And I'm not saying that that's always the case, but that's frequently the case. Some of these other recruiters do reach out with kind of that generic front end, hey, go apply for this. Get them on the phone. Get a conversation. Separate yourself. See if it's even worth your time, right? Because you can waste a whole hour going and applying for a job. I'd rather talk for 15 minutes. And then get the information I need to. And and also, frankly, who do I need to talk to? Because this recruiter can't say yes, right? Okay. We need to get to decision makers as quickly as possible. And if there's an opportunity there, well, guess what? I know. I want to know what the company is. I want to know what the opportunity is. And what am I going to do next? Well, I'll tell you what, Tom, I'm going to go straight to LinkedIn. And I'm going to go to that company. And I'm going to see what veterans have worked there and what veterans currently work there. And I'm going to go talk to those veterans be like, give me the skinny. What's the situation on the ground? Right what, what's happening? Because I don't want to, again, I don't want to waste time going through an interview process. If all the veterans in there are like, Oh, this company's full of scumbags and I'm getting ready to leave. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: What else you got for me, man? This is really good.
0: I could go on and on and on and on and on about recruiters. But one thing that I want you to, one thing I tell all of my mentees is you have to be able to identify BS early and often in the civilian side of the world, and even in the military, right? But more so here because there's a lot less controls in place. And one of the things that I go through my mentees with and what I've spent a lot of time in my professional career, it's why I got my MBA, it's why I got my JD, is so that I could fine tune my BS detector, right? So I could be like, ah, no, <laughs> no, hard pass. Thank you. I, I call it the rave test. And it's kind of the mnemonic for that is if you want to party in my head, you've got to gotta be ready to rave. Right. And I ask myself three questions and and you have to decide for yourself if somebody, uh, whether it's an expert a recruiter, a potential employer passes this test. First step is relevance. Second step is ambiguity. Third step is vagueness. So before I even get through anything, a recruiter might tell me to apply uh, to apply for something. But if it's not even remotely relevant to something I'm trying to do, why am I going to waste my time? Because somebody else told me to do it? No. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not relevant. Same thing would be true if I'm trying to identify an industry expert to talk to about something. Uh, If I'm in the market, like if, if, for example, let's say Mark had given me a name for somebody that was just totally out in left field, would I talk to him? Yes, but only to keep the relationship with Mark alive. But I wouldn't necessarily spend a ton of time working on what that person tells me on the back end that I need to do. Uh, I would do it to maintain a good impression, but I'm not going to prioritize that, right? Because it's not highly relevant, right? So we want to minimize the irrelevance. And that'd be true if you're looking for a new skill set, right? And you're looking for a coach, right? Is what this person saying relevant to something I'm working on? And that's a very low bar, right? The next threshold is ambiguous, right? Are they giving me the how, right? Are they telling me how to do something? Are they telling me how to pick it apart? And for those of you that are Simon Sinek fans, the why, how, what, the why, a lot of people will tell you why they're doing something. And that's pretty standard. Most people, I think, are trying to, you know, take care of their families, do good work, make a better world, right? That why is fairly standardized. They'll tell you what to do. Oh, well, you need to, you know, submit your resume, whatever, but they don't tell you how to do the work. Right. And if you somebody can't tell you how to do it, they're not a really relevant expert in my mind. So I want to ask the five hows. Well, you do this. Okay. Well, how would I, how would I submit my resume? Right. How would I tailor my cover letter? How would I do those things? And if they can't answer that for you, if they can't get five layers deep with you and give you that nitty gritty tactical information, it's too ambiguous right it, it there's not enough meat on that bone and the same thing is true for vagueness, right then maybe they can go five levels deep, but it still just doesn't have enough there, right It's just still too vague. it's non-committal. they're not willing to connect you with somebody. they're not willing to take that next step with you. there's no resources that they have like you know, for example, an author of a book, when i'm looking for books to read i immediately go to the appendix and see what else is there do they have like a spreadsheet that i can immediately use to put this uh, put, you know put this information they say i need to collect into so that's too vague it's too it's it's not enough right so that's what i'm looking for as it relates to anybody whether it's recruiters employers anything like that are they actually are they putting out there what i need to be successful because and this is very important you have limited time right i the other thing i talk to with my with my mentees is i've got the resources value hierarchy and a lot of people overemphasize money and they deemphasize time and it blows my mind because it's still such a prevalent mindset time is your most scarce resource to my knowledge right now can't get more time you know, we could get into metaphysics if you want and discuss that. Sure. You know, there's no there's no time in the present, sure. But until somebody tells me how to make the stock clock stop ticking, I can't operate with that mentality. Number two is information. Information is more important than money. You know the amount of money that is spent to get good info? Look at companies like Mintel. Look at companies like IRI. Look at all of the resources that are poured into social media databasing and ad revenue and all of that. These are massive Efforts to get your information, to get good information, to get additional insight. Money's not even in the top 10 on my resources value hierarchy. So you have to be very guarded with your time and understand that there's a lot of time wasters out there. So if somebody's not willing to rave, right, or they're not capable yeah. of it, don't waste your time, yeah. right? Because you can't get more of it. And especially for those of you who are potentially departing in the next six months or less you have less time. And yes. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just saying that that you need to prioritize well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point.
1: Uh, great information. So let me ask you this. If somebody wanted to connect with you one-on-one for mentoring, how would they go about it?
0: The easiest way, the most direct route, I'll give everybody who's listening to this my email. This is the This is for the Life After the JAG special connect with me directly via email. My email address is Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N at the zenveteran.com. Hit me up directly. If you're not sure whether or not you want to engage with me via email, that's fine. What I would recommend is go to my LinkedIn, right? I, you guys need to be on LinkedIn anyway. Go to my LinkedIn. You can see the content I'm putting out there. You can kind of do a little bit more window shopping. You can see some of the people I've connected with. Anybody I've connected with, I could almost guarantee they'd be willing to talk to you because I vet absolutely every single one of my connections. I don't connect with people who are trash. Right. I <laughs> I went, I went through my LinkedIn about four years ago and just started getting rid of connections that aren't worth much. And it's it's a highly curated group of people. Another place that you could go. So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I could get you access to, I have a LinkedIn group called the Sanctum, right? And it's it's a place that's away from all the noise. It's a little bit safer spot on LinkedIn to post questions, to do that type of in-depth question asking without having to de- sift through the mountains of unsolicited comments that will come anytime you put anything else out there. Like LinkedIn's a cesspool like any other social media site, right? You have to be willing to, you know, get away from some of that, maybe get off pl- off platform. And th- those are two options in addition to just hitting me up directly via email, which would be my preferred. If you hit me up via email, you're going to get a response. My LinkedIn messages, I get a lot of DMs. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: anyway, folks, we're going to, I'm going to cut this because I got to get going, but that's Carson Honeycutt, the Zen mentor. And, you know, you may dismiss him. You may say, look, he's not walked a mile in my shoes, but I tell you what, there's none of us that have probably walked a mile in his shoes of serving in the Marine Corps, going out, going to college, going to law school, getting the MBA, getting the law degree, and now awaiting results. So uh, a lot of good information here. He probably knows more about networking in the 10 minutes that uh, we talked beforehand than most of us know. So hit him up. This is another, this is a product of networking. Let's pay it forward and always circle back and keep that network engaged. So Carson, I appreciate your time, man. This is really good stuff. And I, you know, it was, thank you, Mark. If you're listening, Mark, thanks for (laughs) linking us up.
0: Yes. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening.
1: If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps
0: is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.